turn to the book of Colossians. Um, I want to let you know we are going, my wife and I are going to be going away next week to the Bakers for our anniversary. Uh, we love Brother and Sister Baker so much, and they've been a blessing to us and to this church. And we're going to be, uh, we'll be gone Wednesday night, but Brother Dave's going to be taking the service and helping us out. And he always does such a great job. So appreciate everybody just helping out and doing their part. Amen. If you have Colossians, say amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for truth. Lord, we just yield ourselves to your word. We yield ourselves to, Lord, not the, Lord, the ways of this world and the culture that we live in, but, Lord, your will, your heart, God, is what we need to be conformed to. Lord, give us ears to hear what your spirit would say. Help us tonight, Lord, to just draw near to you. We love you. We thank you, God. We ask it all in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Colossians 2 verse 9 says, For in him, talking about Jesus, in him dwelleth all. Somebody say all. All the fullness of the Godhead. That's divinity. That's just the nature of God. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. God bless you. You can be seated. Brother uh, Chris was talking about the book of Hebrews. We aren't probably going to turn to the book of Hebrews tonight, but really the theme of the book of Hebrews is what we're going to be talking about tonight. I want to talk to you a little bit about the Old Testament and help you understand a little bit more about how God has given us these types and shadows of of better things that we have. That's the the theme of the book of Hebrews is better things and how Jesus came and how he said in the book of Matthew that I have not come to destroy the law. When we're talking about the law, we're not talking about the speed limit. We're talking about the Old Testament. We're talking about that covenant that was made with Israel. Jesus said, I'm not destroying it, but I've come to fulfill it. I've come to complete it. Praise God. And we're going to see what that means as we look to the Word of God here in the book of Colossians. And we're going to kind of focus in a little bit on a specific part of the Old Testament and look at their worship as God gave them the tabernacle in the wilderness. We see here in the book of Colossians that God, through the Apostle Paul, is telling these people, listen, in Jesus you are complete. It's in Him you have everything. Amen. He is the fullness of godliness. He is the fullness of who God is in a body. Amen. He's not a third of God. He's not a part of God or a piece of God. He is God with us, Emmanuel. Amen. The book of Isaiah tells us that unto us a son is born. Unto us a child is born. I'd rather, unto us a son is given. His name, amen, shall be called Wonderful. Talking about Jesus. Amen. How many know he's wonderful? Counselor, the mighty God. The everlasting Father. Who is that? That's Jesus. God with us. Amen. Praise God. But God God comes in in humanity. Fully God, yet fully human. Praise God. A dual nature, if you will. In Him, we are complete. In Him, we have righteousness. In Him, we have salvation. In Him, we have what we need. Amen. It goes on and starts to kind of point back at the Old Testament. And he says, In whom ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now, that's another topic altogether. The token of that covenant, that Old Testament, was the circumcision. And and God says, we have that now in our hearts. We have that token of God doing an operation in us, taking away that carnal nature, amen, from the secret place of our heart, amen. And he goes on and says that's done. I, I believe that New Testament token is, is as it goes into that, into that context, rather, it says buried with him in baptism, 
wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. There was a strong pressure from the Jews of that day that constantly followed Paul around that were saying, you know, you still need to keep the law of Moses. You still need to follow these commandments that Moses gave you and that without them, you you got Jesus, but you still have the law. You got Jesus, but you still need to follow the Old Testament commandments. And, and Paul tells them, of course, through the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, you were dead in your sins. You were dead in their trespasses. But Jesus forgave you of them and made you alive. He quickened you. Now, I think this scripture is very clear and uh, very precise. He tells them now that when he forgave us of our sins and our trespasses, he blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Let me tell you something about the Old Testament. In the book of Galatians, Paul ended up rebuking Peter and said, listen now, you're starting to hang around these folks that are telling us that you have to keep the law and follow the commandments and follow Jesus at the same time. He said, you know what? None of those Old Testament prophets were clean or were made right through the law. They just found out that they were sinners by trying to keep the law. Because the book of Galatians goes on and says that the law was a a schoolmaster. It was a teacher to show us we need a Savior. You do your best to follow the commandments. You do your best to follow the Old Testament laws. And you're going to find out that you fall short of God's glory and that you need a Savior. You know, even... Even those that felt like they were doing pretty good, Jesus kind of put them on the spot, didn't he? He said, oh, oh, you know what? You, I, I hear you is just in so many words, you know, bragging about how you know the Bible says thou shalt not kill. But I'm, I want to ask you what's in your heart with your neighbor. Are you getting angry at your neighbor without a cause? He said, you've already committed a murder in your heart. See, the exciting thing about Jesus, the exciting thing about the New Testament new birth experience where he washes away our sins and fills us with his power is that he'll cleanse your heart. He'll, the, the Bible talks about the blood of bulls and goats. It couldn't sprinkle your conscience. It couldn't clear you of the shame and the guilt and, and change your heart and make you righteous. But Jesus came, amen, and made a difference. The Bible says he blotted out those handwritings and ordinances, those laws that were against us. What do you mean against us? Because every time you try to do right, every time you try to keep that law, Paul said it in Romans, the seventh chapter, I find another law inside me warring against me. The law of sin in my members, the law of sin in my mind. Amen. God needed to help me. So Jesus, when he forgave us, he blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us and it was contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross, took it out of the way. I've talked to folks already. There's, there's, uh, there's some people in the, in, in modern times now that are still saying we need to Keep the laws of Moses. Keep the laws of the Old Testament, and and they're they're looking at feast days and uh, so all all the different uh, feast of tabernacles and feast of Pentecost and all these things and looking at the Old Testament how they kept all these things and and uh, trying to say that we need to adhere to that. Hey, we have that all in Jesus. Let me show it to you. The Bible says He took it out of the way. He nailed it to the cross. Having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them. Now, here it gets very specific. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink. What is that talking about? In the Old Testament, there were clean and unclean meats. 
there were different types of washings of pots and of uh, of water jugs and things like that that you had to had to do just a a very certain way. It was very tedious, and and God said, if you're going to be basically ceremonially pure. This is how you're going to do this. And you're not going to eat pork. You're not going to uh, get around uh, uh, bacon or pork chops or, or catfish for that matter. Lobster and crabs are out of the, out of the picture now. And, and now Paul says, don't let anybody judge you according to that. Don't let anybody judge you about meats and drinks. He says, or in respect of a holy day, that's the feast days of the Old Testament, Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Day of Atonement, and on and on. I believe there's seven of them. He said, uh, not the Holy Day or of New Moon or of Sabbath days. Those things, look what it says, let no man judge you, which are a shadow of things to come. But the body, the body is Christ. It would be as if we could uh, maybe set up the lighting in here somehow that if someone was uh, I've used the illustration so often, if someone was was coming into the church and you, we were expecting them, we're excited to see them. And, and all, before we ever saw them walk through the door, we saw them cast a shadow and we could say that's not them, but they're on their way. We have that sign, and, and, uh, and then they come around the corner, and there's our friend. There's the one we were expecting. Can you imagine standing there and getting so excited while they're there waiting for you to greet them, to fellowship with them? Can you imagine being so preoccupied with the shadow when they came in the door that you, you ignore them? That's kind of the picture that Paul is painting for us, the example of these Old Testament laws and ordinances and precepts, that we don't, it would be foolish to spend time with the shadow when we have Jesus, amen. It would be foolish of us to be preoccupied with the things that were pointing to him, amen. In the Old Testament, in their worship, and we're going to get in, that's why this board is here. In the Old Testament, they had a priesthood. That priesthood was were the ones that would go into the presence of God for the people and make those sacrifices, the Levites. In those Levites, there were the children of Aaron, and uh, they would be the high priests. And they would go into the Holy of Holies only once a year on the Day of Atonement with the blood of the sacrifice for the whole nation. So, you ask me today, do I have a high priest? I absolutely do. What? What kind of high priest do you have? I have Jesus. He's better than Aaron. He's better than Aaron's children because those priests were just men like you and I that were born in sin. All of those high priests, they were doing God's work, but they were just a shadow. That was not perfect. It wasn't as good as Jesus. Why is Jesus better than Aaron? Because you know when Aaron went into the presence of God to make a sacrifice, he had to make an extra sacrifice. Before he made a sacrifice for the people, he had to make one for himself, for his own sins. But Jesus in the flesh could die and be that sacrifice. He who knew no sin, amen, was that high priest for us. Do I still believe there's a high priest? I absolutely do. Amen. It's Jesus. Oh, chapter after chapter after chapter, especially the first, I think about six chapters of the book of Leviticus, it talks about those sacrifices. It talks about the burn offering and the trespass offering and the peace offering and, and talks about all the details of those things. Do we still need a sacrifice? Oh, absolutely we do. Do we have a sacrifice? We have Jesus. He is our sacrifice. He's the one who came in our likeness, came to be fully human that he could bear our sins and carry our shame and our guilt. To know what it was like to be tempted and tried. Praise the Lord. People ask me all the time, "Oh, you don't you don't believe you don't believe in keeping the Sabbath?" I absolutely do. I believe there's rest. 
Not just once a week, though. I don't just have rest. You know, in the book of Hebrews, the fourth chapter, if you'll read it, it talks about a rest that was not limited to a certain day, but that we enter into his rest. See, because that seventh day was a day when God ceased from his works. And now I don't have to work for my salvation. I can cease from my works of trying to keep the law and be righteous. I lay that aside and I enter into faith in Jesus and being filled with the Holy Ghost. And I have rest in him. Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. You know, when he said that in the book of Matthew, he said that when those Pharisees were coming against him and saying, why are your, your disciples are breaking the Sabbath? Right. You know, I've met a lot of folks in this day that were well-meaning trying to keep the Sabbath, but they, they've, they've, they don't realize that it was a day that wasn't only that they didn't go to their job. You couldn't, you couldn't, they cooked their food the day before. They cooked their food the day before because cooking their food, if you would gather sticks to try to build a fire to fuel your house, that they would stone you because it was a day of rest. I've talked to people already and said, how, how do you do this? How, how, do you, how do you keep from all work on one day? See, it was a shadow of what God did for us in salvation. That our desire to work and labor to be righteous we say, God, you did the work. And I enter into the rest of knowing. If you read it in the book of Isaiah, prophesying about the infilling of the Holy Ghost, he says, with stammering lips and an unknown tongue, I'll speak to this people. He said, this is the rest wherewith I will cause the weary to be refreshed. This is the rest. So we have all these things. We're not to be judged by them. We have a high priest. We have a sacrifice. When we look at the Old Testament, We read that and see what God told them and see what God gave them. And uh, I want to talk about what we might consider, not just the shadows. The Bible talks about types and shadows, but we're going to call it layers. What we we read that and what God gave them and how God gave it to them. And then there's something a little bit deeper that you look at as a child of God that now is in the New Testament. We are past the cross, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus that the Old Testament prophesied of. When you read the Old Testament, read it, get familiar with it, get familiar with who's talking, who they're talking to, what the purpose of that was to them at that time. That's important. But keep your eyes open for another layer that's pointing to Jesus. That's pointing to Jesus. We just gave a few here. We're going to talk about a few more. And hopefully by the end of this teaching that when you read your Bible, you'll be able to to start to see some things maybe a little bit more clearly. The Old Testament, like I said, the, the we read here, it is shadows of things to come. But the body is Christ. So when we look in this, when we read Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, all the way to Malachi, we're seeing what God is telling them. But we're also looking at where, where, does, where do we see Jesus in this? Where do we see the Lord? But then when we start to look and see Jesus in the sacrifice, in the lamb, in the, the child that was given, that was the miracle child, Isaac, that was offered on the, the mount, but also in the, the ram that's caught in the bush. The Lord would provide himself a lamb, or, amen, a sacrifice rather. So much that, that we talk about and will talk about. But then when we see Jesus, there's one more layer I want you to be aware of, and that's, Lord, how do... How does that apply to me now with you working in me? Where does, where, where do I fit into this? Let's think about it. We talked about uh, David and Goliath the other day, how David went out there when everybody else was scared, when everybody else was unable and incapable of fighting that giant, David stepped up and said, is there not a cause 
and in front of everybody brought victory for the whole camp of Israel. Just like Jesus came against my sin that was a giant too big for me. Amen. But Jesus steps in and slays the giant of sin. Amen. Comes in and defeats sin so thoroughly. But listen to me. There's also another layer that says, you know what, Lord, you saved me. You did the work that I couldn't do. I was cowering in a corner saying, Lord, I'm helpless against my own sins and you did the work. But now that you're in me, I come against insurmountable odds. And I say in Christ, I can do all things when he strengthens me. Amen. Now the giants of fear and doubt, the giants of temptation come against me. And through Christ, we conquer the enemy. Amen. Romans, the eighth chapter. Romans eight. Right after Romans seven. How about that? But Romans seven. Talks about how that law. Of sin. Warring in my mind, bringing me into captivity. And it ends there in verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? See, God can help you have victory in your life. I'm not saying you won't stumble, but God can give you victory in that battle you're fighting. And it goes on and says, there is now therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. See, sin will rob you of a clear conscience. Sin will rob you. The devil try to fight. The devil does a good job at trying to fight us and working against us. But, but we can fight the devil and overcome him. Amen. No matter how he comes against us, God's going to equip us to beat the devil. Amen. But listen. We, we have to yield ourselves to God every day, surrender ourselves to him. And, and, uh, I'll tell you the most miserable person that can't feel the victory of God is the one that doesn't submit themselves to God, that knows that they're, they're walking in that condemnation. The Bible says we don't have to walk in condemnation if we are in Christ Jesus and walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit, follow Jesus. You have a choice. Let God's spirit lead you in his strength for the law of the spirit of life in Christ. Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death and what the law. Listen now what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. Now, listen, the Old Testament laws and commandments, precepts, ordinances, all those things, the Bible doesn't say that they were messed up and and, and they were wrong and they were bad. They were good. Every bit of it is very good, but the weakness is our flesh that in us, we cannot keep God's laws. Amen. People ask me all the time about what about these folks that are trying to, you know, trying to follow the Koran or trying to follow, you know, Buddhist teachings or trying to follow the, the, uh, Hindu scriptures the the bhagavad gita and what what do you think about all those people i said i don't care if you're following the very stone tables that god wrote with his own fingertips you need a savior right right i I'll, I'll put every every old testament jewish orthodox believer as well as anybody who says they're a christian in the same category with them all if you don't have jesus and you're trying to follow Jesus laws. You're going to try your best to follow the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount and, and all the things. Hey, without him, you're lost. It's not because they don't have maybe some good things about what they believe. It's you need a savior. The law itself is weak because... Of our flesh, through our flesh. But God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. That the, Listen now. The righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. That is an amazing scripture to me. That all the righteousness that is shown to, to be fulfilled and will be fulfilled in us. All the righteousness of the law that we could not attain to by trying our best. It's ours now. 
who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. The book of Hebrews talks about the, uh, the tabernacle that was built in the Old Testament. In the book of Exodus, when the children of Israel were brought out of slavery in, uh, in Egypt and they went through the wilderness, God stopped them there and gave them not only the laws, but he said, I want to dwell among you. I want to tabernacle among you. That word tabernacle really is interchangeable with dwell. And he said, I want you to make me a tabernacle or a tent. And that tent was a place, he said, where my spirit would abide in the midst of the people of God. We as New Testament believers are excited about the fact that we know God dwells in us. We are his tabernacle. We are his dwelling place. Amen. The Bible talks about in the book of John, the first chapter, that the word was made flesh and dwelled among us. That word is tabernacled. So we see that the presence of God dwelled in Jesus. And now that he died, it was buried and rose again, poured out his spirit. Now we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. But there was a, a place where God's spirit would dwell. And... and it's an amazing thing, but in a way it's kind of sad because they would have comfort in seeing that God was with them because that glory cloud would be there, over there, dwelling over the tabernacle. They were, they were all camped around this tent, but they were separate from it. So we in the New Testament say, thank you, Lord, you're with me. I didn't just come to church. I love when he fills this house. But, you know, he, he wasn't here waiting on us. We brought him with us. And, and there's so many things, so many things about this tabernacle to me that are just so interesting, so exciting. There was a, uh, a tent around the tabernacle made of curtains that were coupled together. I was reading about that this morning. I remember one day reading about these curtains. And there were several of them, but they were attached through rings and couplets, the Bible says. And it made one, one large curtain. All these many curtains were coupled together to make one large curtain. And I remember reading that one time and uh, seeing how... God told Moses to tell those people, I want rings and eye holes to, to catch those rings in each of those curtains. And I want you to put 50 of them in each one of them. So all of them are joined together with 50, 50 here and 50 here and 50 here. And it came to my mind that one time that I was thinking, where else have I seen the number 50 in the Bible? Well, you know, Pentecost means 50 days. That 50 days after the crucifixion of Jesus, the Holy Ghost was poured out on the day of Pentecost. And can I tell you, all those different people on that 50th day were filled with the Holy Ghost and joined together as one dwelling place for God. And you'll see, there's so many things we could talk about, about this tabernacle in the wilderness that... It would take more than just tonight. But the first thing, we're going to come in on this side. And the first thing that you would see is a an altar made of brass. The Bible in King James Version calls it the brazen altar. And this was the place where the sacrifice was made. This was the first piece of, we're going to call furniture, that when you entered in. And this was where the blood was shed. This was where the... The burnt offering, the sin offering, the trespass offering, the peace offering. This is where all those offerings were made right here. This place, brass so often in the Bible seems to represent the judgment, the, 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 the brass on the altar that, that spoke against our sin. But it was the place where the blood was shed for us. Remember the layers? Jesus is our lamb. The burnt offering was for atonement. The sin and the trespass offerings were if, if a child of God would fail or stumble and have to go back and make another offering, 
The peace offering was a special offering that was given just really for fellowship. It was a time where you gave to God just because you just could and you wanted to. It was something amazing because you would take some of that home and celebrate with some of the meat from that peace offering. And the priest also would take some of that home to his family for for part of that. So God got some, the priesthood got some, and the the people offering got some. And it was just something that brought fellowship. It was for peace offering. All those offerings point to Jesus. He's the lamb. If you read all the details of those offerings, you'll see very specific details about it being a male, about it being pure, about them being spotless, about them being every bit of it. We maybe we'll go back uh, another day and just look at those offerings. But every one of them pointed to Jesus. But remember the third layer. Remember, we are a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. The book of Romans says, which is our reasonable service. So not only do we see this Old Testament first understanding of, uh, of, of, of a sacrifice for sin, of blood being shed. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. But we understand, God, you're my sacrifice, but now I give myself a living sacrifice. There was one other piece in the outer court. We're going to section this off, and this isn't going to be in any kind of, uh, of uh, scale. Thank you. But there was, in this place, another piece of furniture that was brass. After the blood was the water. This was the laver. We're going to, let me just, uh, maybe, for sake of time, I don't want to get too detailed. I'm not trying to make a a mural here, okay? But uh, the Bible calls this the laver. It was a place of washing. Now, the priesthood would come at the beginning of their, their, their time of being a priest at their consecration. They would take a full bath in that, a, an, an immersion. We'll get back to that after a while, called the mikvah. And they would wash themselves from head to toe, fully wet. But then after that, there were subsequent washings. The book of Hebrews talks about the principles of doctrines of Christ, talks about repentance from dead works and faith toward God, and talks about washings. There were multiple washings. There was an initial washing. We had a baptism the other day. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I seem to do that occasionally. We have an initial washing, but there are also subsequent washings. Now, once those priests went to that labor and were fully consecrated unto God in that initial washing. You know what? Before they ever did anything else for God, they would come and wash their hands and wash their feet in the morning and in the evening. We understand that the Bible talks about the washing away of sins. Amen how Jesus did that. But we also need that washing, not only in our salvation, but we also need it day by day. We need to come to God and say, Lord, I, I, I need to do a little better. Lord, I, I, there's some things, God, that I feel like maybe, maybe I, I need some more help with. God, could you just cleanse me again today? That there's mercy. That a just man falls seven times. There's times of forgiveness. There's a time where we all need an altar and say, Lord, Help me. Help me get up and, and do better today. We see how Jesus washes us, cleanses us, and how we need that in our lives day by day. Now, this place is called the holy place. There were three pieces of furniture in here. On this side, there was a table. The Bible says calls it a table of showbread. There were, there were 12 cakes really loaves of bread, if you will, that were given there. Each was a, to represent one of the tribes of Israel. But as we in the New Testament look at this, we're going to see Jesus in every single step. When Jesus comes, what does he tell them? I, I am the bread of life. I, I'm the bread of life that, that now I'm the one that nourishes you. I'm the one that's going to sustain you. I, I'm that one that's going to give you life. Amen. That when we're weary, he's the one who gives us strength. I am the bread of life. And God has put us in this world to, to hold his word. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We stand in this world to 
to shine forth the, the word of God, to be holding on the testimonies that we heard tonight of just being able to tell somebody, hey, this is what the Bible says. This is who Jesus is. In that same holy place, there is a, a, a lampstand, somewhat like what you see, not exactly like it, but somewhat what you see as uh, in Hanukkah with the menorahs. And uh, it was, a, it was a, uh, an oil-fed lampstand that would bring light. What did Jesus say? I am the light of the world. I've got, a, I've got a sacrifice. I've got washing. I've got the bread of life. I've got the light. And then Jesus comes and tells us, I want you to be the light. I want you to go in this world, be the salt, be the light. I want you to shine so bright that they might see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. There's one more piece here. This was another altar. It was an altar where the priests would take the fire from this altar, burning the sacrifice, put it into a thing called a censer, and bring it into here and burn incense on this, off, on this small altar. It was a golden altar unto God. This, uh, this candlesticks were made of gold now, and, and the table was also made of gold. And what we see by that is the closer you get in the presence of God, the more precious the metals are. This altar of incense, the Bible talks about uh, David in the book of Psalms talks about the incense going up as my prayers might go up and the lifting up of my hands, just like the incense going up into your presence. We see in the book of Revelation again also that the, the prayers of the saints going up like incense into the presence of God. And we see Jesus making the prayers Saying, I want, in John 17, saying, Lord, let them be one as we are one. Let them be one. We see Jesus' ministry of prayer over and over and over again. Every piece and every detail all about Jesus. Let me back up a little bit before we get into the Holy of Holies with that one last piece that is so important and so central, really, to all the worship. This tent right here that uh, I need to back up. There was a curtain that separated the, the common people, really, outside the, 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 the camp of Israel. The priesthood came in and did all this, the sons of Levi. But this tent that went around this holy place, this tent was made of several layers itself. On the outside, it was made with just like badger skins, from a distance, it wasn't anything fancy. It didn't look like anything that would really catch your attention. Just really a common, it was good against the elements. It was practical. It was good for when it rained. It was good for, uh, it was just really tanned leather. But there was another layer to it. There were several layers. But the inside layer, when you walk in, the colors were magnificently broidered, embroidered together. Uh, colors that represent royalty. Purple and scarlet and gold all in these this curtain. And again, it reminds me of how the Bible says about Jesus in the book of Isaiah. He had no form or comeliness that we would desire him. He, he, he didn't walk down the street like a some kind of celebrity, if you will. Just came as a man. No carnal way of to draw anybody. But inside was divinity, was royalty. Beauty was not about what was on the outside, but what was on the inside. Isn't that kind of what God told us in his word about us? That it's not with, with gold and pearls and costly array, but, but the godly character is what we have. Well, this, this right here is such an important part. It might not seem like it after all this, but separating the holy place from the holy of holies was a veil. The Bible talks about this veil. It was, a, again, an amazing embroidery of these royal colors of scarlet and gold and, and, and uh, purple. And there were cherubim, angelic creatures that were, were embroidered in this. And it separated. Again, you'll see 
if, if you're following this, you'll realize that the children of Israel, they're camped out here. Remember, they're looking and saying, hey, the glory of God is over there. And they're separated not only by this curtain, but even the sacrificial uh, uh, atonement needed to be made. The sacrifices need to be made by only the children of, of Levi, that one tribe. And then not only is it getting more and more costly to come in here, but it's more separate to come into the holy place. And only the Levites could come here, but only one time a year, one of the sons of Aaron would come, the high priest. That was on the Day of Atonement. Uh, a lot of times you'll see it on the calendars, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, where that blood was applied on the Ark of the Covenant. It was a box. It was a gold box that had a lid on it they called the mercy seat. Above that mercy seat were two angels, two cherubim, that look down onto that mercy seat. The power of God, the glory cloud that led them through the wilderness dwelled right there on that, on that mercy seat. The power, the glory, the holiness of God. His, 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 power, his presence was there among them, but not in us, in this dark room that only someone come in once a year and with blood. The blood was put on top of this mercy seat, in this box, in this box was the tables of stone that had the commandments on them. They had a pot of manna, a pot of manna. The manna was when the children of Israel cried out and said, hey, we're hungry. We need something to eat. And God provided them bread in the wilderness. Again, we see the law of God. We see the bread of God. And we see Aaron's rod when the people of Israel were striving with Moses one time and Moses they told Moses said you know what I don't know you and Aaron we're all holy here you know you guys are taking too much on yourselves and and uh, Moses said well let God decide this and he took the staff of Aaron and the staff of all the other heads of the tribes and set it out there and before the presence of God and God's glory cloud comes down and when it lifts Aaron's rod buds and brings forth almonds and 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 they say, well, I guess God spoke. Well, he wasn't done yet. He judged the guys that came up and rose up against them. But all those things were put in this box, this gold box. So, But the main thing in that box that we're going to spend the time today with is that law, the commandments of God. Those commandments, you've heard me say this before if you've been here uh, very long at all. Those commandments of God demanded holiness. Those commandments said, thou shalt do this and the the wages of sin was death. And God is a holy God. God is a righteous God. He is a God of justice. Be careful when you say, God, I want justice. <laughs> because God demands holiness. And God's holy presence, his power, would come down and sit upon that mercy seat. But between his laws and his presence was the blood. The blood that said, I made atonement. I made peace for you. God made a way that we can be clean. God made a way that we can have mercy. God made a way. The Bible says that we can come boldly into his presence in our time of need. The last thing I want to say about this tabernacle is when they moved in to the promised land, finally, this tabernacle was broken down by the tribes of, by the sons of Levi and picked up and put back together time and time again as they traveled through the wilderness. But then one day they went into the promised land and found a place for it. David said, you shouldn't dwell in a tent, God, when I have a, such a nice place to live. And I want to build you a temple. And God told David, no, I'm not going to have you build it, but I'm going to have your son Solomon build it. He said, you've shed a lot of blood. And uh, David said, that's all right. I'll prepare for it. I'll put it together so that Solomon can make, make this beautiful, beautiful, exceeding magnifical is the words it says in the King James Bible. Just an amazing, amazing building. And it was really just a, a larger, more ornate version of what God gave them as types and shadows of what was to come. But even then, when 
It was so beautiful and so magnificent, and it was a, a structure that would be settled there in Jerusalem. It was still something so separate from the people of God. They did. They were constantly reminded, hey, we're the people of God. God is with us. But do you remember what Jesus said? I'm with you, but I will be in you. This veil that was very, it was uh, some say like six to eight inches thick of the embroidery. I can't imagine what it would take to make something like this so, so immense and so heavy. But the Bible says when Jesus died on the cross, when Jesus said it is finished, that veil in the temple that day rent, it ripped from top to bottom miraculously as if God was proclaiming that the way was now made to come into whosoever will into the Holy of Holies. The way was made now that no longer in a dark place separate, no longer over there that you'd have to make a, a pilgrimage to try to get to Jerusalem to see where the presence of God was. But now Jesus said, I will be in you. Jesus tells them, we read it here the other day, about how on the day of Pentecost would, it would come when the fullness of time would come. He told them to wait and tarry in Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. When we see that day come and the Holy Ghost is poured out, the Bible says they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave the utterance. Peter stands up with the twelve and starts to talk to them about Jesus, talk to them about how he was the Messiah. He was that lamb that was slain. They come, they're pricked in their hearts. They say, men and brother, what should we do? Repent of your sins. You know what repentance is? It's a death. It's a death of the old life. It's a coming to an altar and saying, I'm turning fully from that. That old life is dead now. I'm not going back. I'm not looking back. I'm looking toward a new life. I'm looking toward you, Jesus. Repent of your sins. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And what Peter said, it's the next step to get to the Holy Ghost. This, he said, repent of your sins, be baptized, everyone, go to the blood, then go to the water, and then the presence of God, ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. He said, this promise is unto you and to your children, to all that are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. We see the layers of New Testament salvation. Praise God. That death, that burial, what happened when Jesus died on that cross? He they pierced his side, outflowed the blood and the water, and he gave up the ghost. The Spirit of God that dwelled in him was released from that body. And today, we have that promise in us that God would fill us now with that Holy Ghost. That God would fill us with his promise, just like they did on the day of Pentecost. That that blood is applied. We go to the water in his name, and God fills us with his power that he can dwell in us. That we don't have to look somewhere and say he's over there. We don't have to travel to try to find out where that glory is. But that glory now resides in us through his death and burial and resurrection. Oh, we ought to be thankful for what God has done. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Today, we have an Old Testament in our Bibles that's so very important. You'll never, never hear me tell you that it's not, not for us. It's not for today. It is, it is everything that God said it would be. It's a, it's a teacher to lead us to Jesus. It's a shadow that shows us the body, which is Christ. Oh, hallelujah. I'm so thankful. So thankful for his word. So thankful. When you read your Bibles. I want you to be mindful. I want you to be mindful, Lord. I want you to show yourself to me. I want you to become real to me, Lord. I want you to teach me about you. Teach me, Lord, about what you love and what you hate, God. But I want you also, Lord, to show me, Lord, where, Lord, I need to be filled with you and living 
shining forth, being a testimony, a witness for you, to be a living sacrifice unto you. Come on, let's find a place to pray. Let's find a place to talk to him. for each one now that you help us, Lord, to just walk with you, to walk, Lord God, in your in your will and in your power, God. Keep us, Lord. Protect us and lead us. We love you so much. God, I pray you just keep us safe as we travel tonight now, Lord, and keep us in protection and good health. And Lord, just use us to shine your light to those that need you. We love you so much. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Somebody say in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you as you go.